Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Buffy Virgin. We are watching uh, season four, episode, what, 19? Uh, New Moon Rising. Uh, I'm your host, as usual, Dennis St. John, uh, horror cartoonist. Uh, you can buy my comics places uh, with the new <laughs> Famous Monsters. Uh, we have a special guest with us today, Maya Kobabe, non-binary cartoonist. Why don't you introduce yourself? First, I want to say you nailed that name pronunciation. Good job. My name is Maya Kobabe. I am a freelance cartoonist. Um, I met Dennis through comic stuff. Um, I'm so excited to be on this podcast because I'm a big fan of Buffy, and I will promote my stuff at the end of it. Right. Well, why don't you give us a little taste? A right little now. taste? Okay. What, 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 are you, what are you working on? I just wrapped up a book that is going to be a graphic memoir. It is titled Gender Queer. It's coming out from Lion Forge in May 2019. And it is a um, autobiography of gender identity, sexuality, and coming out, which is relevant to this episode. Cool. Can't wait to read it. Uh, we also have with us, as usual, the rest of the normal gang. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves um, in any order you want? I didn't pick Total freedom. From bravest <laughs> to most afraid. Yeah, so I, I'm Travis. I'm, uh, I'm uh, I guess, the bravest today, but mostly I'm a cowardly lion most other days. But switch it up every once in a while. Boy. All right. Uh, I'm John. I'm uh, partially fueled with a very small amount of liquid courage tonight and really looking forward to uh, talking about this episode. This is a rich one. It is, yeah. And uh, my name is Michael. I'm the Virgin. I've only seen Buffy up to season four, episode 19. Also really excited to be here today. So usually we start with reactions, but due to our odd recording and airing schedule, we don't have any this week. Uh, so let's jump to the summary. The summary. Season four, episode 19, New Moon Rising. Willow and Tara blissfully walk together at campus, having reached that critical moment of a relationship when pet adoption becomes salient, with Tara trying to suss out if Willow is allergic to cats, which she isn't, by the way. However, no concern for whether or not Amy, that's Amy the rat, is going to be able to visit Tara's anytime soon is discussed. As Tara finally becomes a full Scooby, the gang is worried. There haven't been enough mysterious deaths and monstrous creatures as of late. That spells trouble, and in this town, that might actually be a literal spell. Suddenly, out of the blue, Oz shows up and makes everyone awkward. Well, except Xander, who gives them an awkward handshake. Tara bounces because, well, can you blame her? <laughs> Eventually, Buffy and Riley go on patrol and tag team a demon, breaking its back over a tombstone. When Buffy brings up Oz's furry past, Riley acts like a typical brainwash initiative grunt, which makes Buffy furious. They still go to bed together, but like it's not a happy situation. Willow and Oz talk through the night, and we find out that, like most things in life, Tibet is the key to enlightenment. Herbs, charms, and some chanting, and he can control things. Hey, that's how I pass senior English. Despite the lack of funny business, when Tara <laughs> drops by in the morning, she finds Oz and assumes the worst. Meanwhile, Buffy is also assuming the worst about Riley's character, and having to explain that some evil things are, like, not evil. Don't feel too bad for Buffy because Angel had to explain all this already to Detective Kate Lockley on his show. Now, the actual evil thing that can't be evil because he's got a chip in his head, Spike, well, he just got recruited to work for Adam, and in a sneaky way like a double agent, which the Scoobies don't even realize yet. Willow finally tells Buffy about Tara, and Buffy does freak out, but she loves Willow, so she does handle the news well after about a minute. Oz enrolls at UCSD with the hope of being with Willow again, 
when he smells her scent on Terra and goes into beast mode. What's that saying? You wouldn't like him when he's jealous? Something like that. The initiative step in and save Terra, which is good, but then they capture Oz and torture him, which is bad, of course. Buffy and the Scoobies are reduced to asking, to asking Spike for help to break in and rescue not just Oz, but also Riley, who has had a crisis of conscience. Finally, just in time for the season to end, of course, but he leaves the initiative forever, it seems. Buffy realizes that she needs to be honest with Riley, and they settle down for the talk. You know, the talk everyone has to have after they have been in love with a monster and are now dating a human? That kind of talk. We've all been there, right? Sure. As for Oz and Willow, they patch things up, but Willow chooses Tara in the end. Bab. Yay, well done, Travis. That was a good summary. I've been loving all of your guys' summaries for this entire season. And some of the times when you haven't been able to hear it live and you're just like, yeah, that was good. And I'm at home like, that was amazing. Be more excited. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I felt the need to sometimes indicate like, we don't actually know what the summary is yet. <laughs> there are some really good ones. Story. You guys put in a lot of effort in those. That's mostly Mike. Who does Mike. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate amazing. John does amazing. I appreciate your hard work. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we I do solicit people in our Slack channel for assistance, so I'm not mm. I full I can't take full credit if it's some of the one I did. But John never does, so his stuff is great. Great art made by team. Good job. All right, uh, let's move on to great lines. Great lines. I just really liked this line, partially because like this is never described like. I've never wanted to be in a group so much than the one described by this military guy who's like, the Slayer and her band of freaks, they're anarchists, Finn, too backwards for the real world. It's like, man, I want to join that group so bad. <laughs> uh, Judd? Yeah, I, uh, I really enjoyed the companion line where uh, Riley says, no, sir, I'm an anarchist. And he punches him out. It's amazing because uh, to me, this like makes me imagine that like in the next episode, Riley's going to have like a black denim vest and like a mangy dog. He's going to be like, he's going to be at like food, not bomb. He's going to be uh, starting a Xerox zine. I think uh, Riley would be yes. an amazing anarchist. That would have been such a more interesting character choice. Oh. <laughs> it reminds me of, for some reason, uh, when John and I back in like, the year 2005 or something we're at this at the film at the video store we kind of worked at uh and a guy came in and i was like i'm looking for like the people with like non-symmetrical haircuts like <laughs> you guys look like the type where do they, like these guys hang out do you remember that it was like I, I don't remember that but that seems very plausible for that time and place he's like i just came into town and this seems like the kind of place <laughs> so he wasn't even looking for a film at all he was just looking for hipsters. he was just looking for like the punk scene okay <laughs> and found us so it's like yeah okay. sorry we, yeah we were probably a pretty, pretty big disappointment go to the weird zine shop like a few blocks away yeah i think that's where we pointed him to <laughs> afterwards you'd be like he's someone else's problem now <laughs> i just like the description the immediate description of like you know like non-angular like yeah non-symmetrical haircuts <laughs> this was before everyone had one i guess so that was actually still a tell yeah <laughs> back in the early 2000s so uh my, my my favorite quote is willow's um talking to buffy about oz and she goes it's complicated because of tara and buffy's like because Tara has a crush on Oz? <laughs> no. Oh, oh. And then Will's like, there is something between us. And there's like a really 
like what he assumes moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Assumptions of heteronormativity. All right. I had two. There's so many good lines in this episode, but two that I really liked were um, one when Oz is explaining like what he learned about in Tibet. And he's, he has a line where he says, all about keeping your inner cool. And Willow says, good, because you were such a spaz before. Um, followed not too, sh- not too long after that by when Oz is like, well, what should we do this morning? And Willow says, I'll have the less confusing waffles right now. <laughs> and Oz says, breakfast it is. Um, and I just felt like both of these, like, both of these lines are such Oz lines and and it makes us like they're trying to make us remember how much we miss him and how much we love him and it works um and I just read a good article on how in Shakespeare when characters have chemistry chemistry it's usually shown by their lines like matching together better or like they even will break into poetry like sonnets whereas characters who have no chemistry will only be able to speak together in prose And I thought this was sort of an example of like chemistry being shown through um, like dynamic dialogue. That's a good notice. Yeah. Oh, and then I have one down here that's more serious. My The line to me that sort of summed up what's happening in this episode was Buffy's. No matter what, someone's going to get hurt. The important thing is you have to be honest or it's going to get a lot worse. And of course, this is another classic Buffy moment of her giving advice that she is not following herself. <laughs> True. I really love the uh, the you know English lit line here. So Buffy's got uh, their commander, whatever hostage, and she says, "Stay back, or I'll do a William Burroughs on your leader here." And then everybody looks confused. And Xander says, "You'll bore him to death with free prose." <laughs> Was I the only one awake in English that day? I'll kill him. <laughs> I love how uh, Buffy is variously like you know super aware of canonical literature or not aware at all, depending on what the plot needs at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, that joke, when I saw that, I heard that this time. I was like, ooh, too soon. But it's like <laughs> years ago, I guess. Yeah. I'm surprised that hasn't been trekked around more frequently. That seems like such a good one. But it's rare that people have like, I don't know, I guess a crossbow seems more more friendly way to put that. But because there's a William Tell vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't know. And they were totally, uh, just last episode, Jonathan was William Telling or William Burroughsing. <laughs> the apples. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, kill counts. The kill count. Um, so only one confirmed human, but two were mauled, so potentially will become werewolves. Uh, I don't think that's ever discussed. Uh, and what? Buffy makes an actual reference to her kill count in this episode. Yeah, I was gonna mention that. So she's her, been her listening to this podcast. Gets, the, gets an actual mention, which is nice. Um, uh, there's one KO and two monsters are captured. Maybe one died, maybe it didn't. It was a little unclear. Uh, but that's the kill count. Uh, so let's move on to weird notices and trivia. Weird noticings. Uh, so I think it's uh, uh, no one is taking Giles' snacks or drink offers. Uh, he's being a good host. They're being bad guests. But it's pretzels, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> Let's keep it real. Of course, there's some weak, weak snacks there. Oh, yeah. I, I said there were all these furry jackets this episode. Like Oz and is it Oz and Willow both had really Oz and Willow yeah. both have amazing jackets. On. I agree. I was I was gonna put this in, and then I noticed you had already in the notes. They they clearly wanted the 
like Willow and Oz, again, trying to sort of like show their like chemistry and old history is like they're even a little matchy. And yeah, the, the jacket that Willow's wearing when they first stroll outside when she doesn't realize it's the full moon is just an incredible piece of clothing. Uh, Riley's just incredibly excited to use his cell phone. And it's just like a weird glee he has about him that's beyond just like what he's actually doing, which is calling in a, you know, calling the initiative, whatever. He's so excited. And two, uh, as I saw his excitement, it like triggered to me that he looks like Leon in Resident Evil 4. So if you scroll down at the bottom of the document here, I just have like a little- Let's look at the cat. Uh, and I'll share my screen so everybody can see what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. It's just like a very- clear comparison yes. to me like i don't know it's and then it made me think of all of the missed casting opportunities and you know they've never made this resident evil movie and also constantine should be played by uh james marsters and anyway that's oh. casting misses uh for the buffy uh buffy crew so that's resident evil 4 is the one that's in like uh eastern europe you're yes. yeah it's like spain. i think it's like spain but yes oh <laughs> wow. spain. but yeah but like medieval village yeah. Spain. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I thought Oz was kind of like sweet and he's like, it's, I just miss you guys. But no one was really all that welcoming um, when he showed up. Like there was really some serious cold shoulders going on when Oz showed up. Yeah. And I think everybody took Willow's side in that breakup. Everyone did for sure. But well, I mean, he was the one who skipped town. So. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, when you skip town and there's a death too, like there's just so much <laughs> weirdness about that whole evacuation. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm pissed because I wish because Oz went through this whole Tibetan struggle and like Angel had the ring of Amara and that probably could have done something for him and it was never even considered to hand it off. <laughs> the ring of Amara is so unused. <laughs> there are several things that come up in Angel that you're like, this would have been so useful to have in Sunnydale. <laughs> oh well we're just gonna throw it into the sea never mind i mean because oz is even on the episode in angel when the ring is like in play i know like but i guess you know they've got a plan for him to go to Tibet. but i was just anyway after so seeing him bad. figure out the problem which i didn't even realize was figure outable but i was just gonna notice before we leave this scooby meeting scene um that willow and anya's like dress or fashion or i don't know clothes choices are i think the most similar right now of any point in the arc of the show and it's interesting to me that their hair is so similar and they're both wearing kind of like a long sleeve shirt and a skirt i believe when they i think dislike each other the most also right now like they're actively not fans of each other yet dressing very much the same what does that mean? I don't know. I was wondering if it was just sort of like, oh, we don't really have a whole closet for this other character. Let's just pull some stuff out of Willow's closet for Anya to wear. That's interesting. They've taken so many social cues from each other. Like they're totally taking all the insane influences. Mm -hmm. But they still have to hang out. Like this Scooby Gang situation forces their hand. It's clear <laughs> Anya wouldn't be there, you know, if yeah. she wasn't obsessed with Xander. But Yeah, I think they made it clear last episode that Anya is yet to become friends with anyone outside of Xander, right? Yeah. Like, she means Except it. Spike. <laughs> she yeah, can't except Spike. Spike. Yeah. I just want to point out, and there's a screenshot of this, if you want to scroll down to the... Uh, somewhere in the document. Yeah, it's the first picture. Uh, Riley owns a canteen and it's hanging on his bed post, which tells me that he actually uses it frequently. Um, so, you know, it's just weird because uh, he's not, you know, a Cub Scout going to the weekend jamboree. So I'm not sure why he has a, a round canteen. 
<laughs> Quit canteen next to your binoculars and stuff that just like gets used all the time. <laughs> the binoculars are super creepy if you use them. Mo- mostly creepy. Canteen is like maybe responsible. <laughs> Everybody carries around water bottles all the time, so it's like we just transitioned. Like I have like four of these on this desk here. <laughs> Spike's crypt is really sad. Uh, like you get in there and they just cut and he's got a blanket on top of a stone crypt. It looks super uncomfortable. Uh I I like feel for Spike every time we see his crypt. Oh. Like when he had the sad TV that got like smashed, you know, <laughs> like he's I I, I don't think they mean for us to be like empath to him, but every time they show his space, like you give a little bit of like, you feel a little love for him and his weird, uh, sad circumstances and his off-campus housing. Yeah, he's definitely not uh, living the high life like when he was back in the factory before it burned down. Yeah. Like Angel had his act together as far as like how a vampire should live and Spike can't even, like, he can't even get to that level. Like... Yeah, presumably no one is living in Angel's underground apartment now. And I mean, from Angel, we know that like vampires, we don't know if they get back problems, but they appreciate a mattress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whether it's good or not. So you'd think that Spike would be like, I don't know, yeah, carry a mattress in there. I don't you know. You know what? It has to do with Drusilla because when Spike mm. was with her, they had an amazing place. Yes. And then as soon as she's gone, he's like, I'm a single man. I don't need any of this crowd. I'm gonna <laughs> you know what's interesting is in it's not like Drew was doing that for him. Like he was the, because Drew had like health issues, right? So he was the one taking care of her. So, but it's still like codependency, right? That he's like, he does everything for her and he can't do it for himself. He wow, even with Harmony, he had a bed. Here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm with you. Spike's, Spike's crypt is... <laughs> is like a depression cave right now um i love this is a little bit earlier the episode i love that uh, the willow uh, tara suggesting that they hide a cat in a dorm room to me that was just such classic college student logic like no one will notice they definitely don't you know check our dorms during breaks or anything yeah this whole thing really bothers me because like they're really early in the relationship to be considering getting a cat together yes cats live a long time cats are a big responsibility uh, I remember when my girlfriend a uh, long time ago asked if, you know, told me we, that we should get a cat. It scared the absolute bejesus out of me. Um, also, like, uh, if you go down, I've got the second screenshot. Um, right. Tara's dorm room. Tara, look, room at the, look around the door. She has painted her walls black really badly. <laughs> painted her walls in her single dorm room black, and she's going to put a cat in there. I don't. He's destroying this dorm room. Yeah, yeah. If they have an active RA for sure, but also they already they already have a rat. Like there's already like Willow has a rat. That's a different room. But they don't play with it or anything. This yeah, this cat that they're getting is a direct threat to another human being's life. Who's I mean, I think the cat goes along with, I think people made comments in previous episodes about like Tara moving too quickly and making sort of grand emotional gestures like gifts, for example, too soon. Like it's very clear that, or at least it seems to me that this is Tara's first kind of serious relationship. And she is like, she is, she's like, oh, like, you know, she's going to be like, getting matching jewelry she's going to be the first one to recommend matching tattoos like it's just all of these landmarks coming way too soon um well, and the cat is just one of them and also just like throughout this whole episode 
because I really like Tara and I've always liked Tara, but mm -hmm. like this particular watch there, I just keep noticing how weak she is and how quick she is to say, Willow, your feelings are what matter. I understand mm -hmm. what you're going through and just really does not talk about what she needs at all. No. And it kind of makes me like almost dislike her a little bit. It's like, be strong for Christ's sake, like stand up for yourself in this relationship. Yeah. And Willow's already kind of like, you know, she's put upon as a character a lot. So it's like two mice. I mean, they're just, at least the way they get depicted, you know, in this episode. Well, we will get into it more. I thought, I hope. Yeah. I think so. I did like the phrase that Tara used referencing the cat that she wanted in her room to be willow friendly. Um, I just thought that was a cute phrase and it made me remember I have a lot of friends with food allergies um, and we when we first like would be like okay well now I can't have this now I can't have that and when we were cooking together as friends we'd be like we want to make sure the, fr the food is like Ashley friendly if we're making our friend Ashley and we would use that term to be like you know make sure there's nothing in here that's in there that's gonna make her sick. So I did like that that line just as it's a sign of you know it's just all a sort of sign of, of Tara thinking of Willow's needs when Willow is not necessarily thinking of Tara's needs. Yeah, I think I feel like there's a lot of that this episode. Like, like uh, later on when Will Willow is like really honest with Tara, but it's also like, do you want to be to your girlfriend be talking so much about how much you how strongly you're feeling about your ex? Like, mm -hmm. isn't isn't there a degree of like where that it's not I it's not honesty. It's like uh, overwhelming. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just uh, I really like the scene with um, Buffy and Riley arguing about. Uh, werewolves and mm -hmm. the use of, use of the word bigot for like somebody who discriminates against monsters mm -hmm. um, it's really like uh, putting the nail on the head of like the monster metaphor for the show you know so I got nothing but love for Buffy and nothing but anger for Riley for that scene <laughs> I mean you call someone a bigot you're gonna get a reaction they get it <laughs> I mean. yeah that's true um do we want to talk about the uh, willow coming out to Buffy scene I mean, there's a, a lot to talk Not about there. Yeah. <laughs> we can save some of it for themes, but. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely I have a lot to say about this in themes. I like this scene. Um, this felt true to me. Um, I came out for the first time to my best friend also kind of in a similar way. I was younger. I was like 13, but in a way of not using any words or labels, like not saying like I'm lesbian or I'm bi or I'm gay, but more like I like a girl question mark and um i do think that though buffy you know she has like this moment of having to recalibrate i actually think she handles this really well i would give yeah. buffy especially for the year 2000 i would give her like a solid like b plus as as reaction to your friend coming out to you uh handling good grade it's <laughs> totally better than her gpa so that's good to hear. I, I had no, I had no sense. <laughs> I had no reference to like, I mean, we'll talk, I think about this more in like, you know, questions and themes, but I had no reference for that experience. No one's ever come out to me. So it didn't, it always feels a little, it felt off. Like I wanted her to be more responsive, but I think, I mean, I think the thing she does is like, she's never negative, but she has like 30 seconds or a minute of kind of freaking yeah. out a little while saying positive things. And then like her emotions catch up with her logic and she's yeah. like, no, I am fine with this. Yeah, of course I'm fine with this. Yeah, right? and I, I felt like um, the that, I mean, if we're then talking about the actors, like I felt like the line when Buffy sits down on the bed finally goes, no, we're fine, we're cool. Like that line felt so genuine to me. Like it didn't, you know, like from an acting point of view of, point of, view of Michelle Geller being like digging into like, no, 
Like we're best friends. This is not going to change anything. And so I felt like that line when she like sort of meets Willow's eyes, and I think they maybe even like touches her hand or something. I can't quite remember made up for her like previous, like calling Willow Will five times in a row. Yeah. I couldn't tell whether or not I really liked that as a, like a, a writing choice to have her keep saying Willow's name. I couldn't tell if that was accurate or just like a weird thing they were doing for TV. But I was like, hmm, interesting choice by saying, you know, saying her name again and to indicate she's processing something. It felt like she would, they were masculinizing her because they were using like a more male sounding name. Huh. Oh, huh. So I never thought of that. Well, I, I mean, I, I, we've seen this relationship coming for so many episodes and like only Buffy well, not only Buffy. The Scooby Gang seems generally out of out of touch with what's going on with that relationship. It felt like something was going on in her mind to me the way that was written that she was thinking of Willow as being kind of, you know, in I guess this is like very heteronormative that it was in a male female pairing of how she was thinking through it. And maybe that's, you know, projecting how I'm thinking, but when quite calling her Will over and over again, like a separation happened in her mind. That could be. I wouldn't be surprised if that might have been something that the writers were thinking about in that moment. I read it more as when you use a nickname that's like not the nickname you usually use, it can sound super awkward. Like, I don't know, if someone were to suddenly call you Michael, like Mikey or something, and then you'd be Ooh. like, oh, exactly. You have that exactly <laughs> kind of a like, I took it because I was like, has Willow, is Willow ever called Will regularly in the sh- show? I mean, that's not maybe a few times, but it's times, not like. Yeah not like a normally used nickname at least between Buffy and Willow so to me it just stuck out as that like awkwardness of like this is not if anyone calls her Will it's usually Xander yeah I was gonna say Xander and they're like the childhood friends so maybe that makes a lot more sense and I know uh Angelus calls uh Buffy Buff Hmm. and I noticed Jonathan called Buffy Buff a couple times Hmm. when he was a superstar Hmm. Uh, but yeah there's not too many nicknames on the show really I mean, Xander is a nickname. Yeah. Well, Faith calling Buffy B. That's a notable notable exception. Faith, where is Faith? (laughs) No one knows. It's a mystery. Mike, you got the next one? Hey, Dr. Travis, this is for you. Is it cool to carry an unconscious person in a body bag? It is a terrible idea. It shows you just like how evil the initiative is. I have to wonder, like... Did they make the initiative so evil this episode so that like Riley would finally like realize his mistake? But also it's like, how good of a character are you when it's like the very end of the most evil like part of like your group? And you're like, you know what? We've, we're just too sinister now. I, I really <laughs> you know, been kind of sinister for, uh, you know, 18 episodes boy we really just reached my sinister maximum you know who's sorry who's the unconscious person in the bag us in werewolf werewolf form no support to the neck at all yeah Yeah, in fairness they don't think he's a person at that point i i really like they're just we should read a book on campus where they do zip them up and are like like that doesn't fly anywhere on campus no one's like oh yeah that's normal bunch of military dudes No questions, asked. no questions asked but it's like man i don't know how proud to be if like like you could fill your sinister tank halfway and be like all right i'm good i'm good mm-hmm. whatever <laughs> and, and then um willow is weirdly jealous of oz's transformation but you know she's really gone through a whole lot of transformation herself 
this this season, I think. And it's more than just realizing that maybe she is is uh, gay or bisexual or whatever. You know, she's been transforming as a witch. Uh, she doesn't give herself that credit, which I think you know is is pretty common. But I don't know. She's a pretty pretty different character this season than last season. It feels like. Oh yeah, definitely a big change. Too. Especially if you look at like from season one, Will. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. How many elements has she has she mastered? All four. All four. <laughs> so I did. I watched this episode with Dennis, and we actually paused it, and I was like how long has Oz actually been gone? And so I looked at all of the episodes this season and I tried to work out like a timeline. So we know that the episode Fear Itself happened at Halloween. And then there are two more episodes. Like, well, there's an episode, I think it's Beer Bad. And then there's the one where Oz leaves, which is Wild at Heart. So if, if, if Fear Itself is on, happening on October 31st, and we say that each of the following two episodes take like three days, the soonest Oz could have left is like November 7th, right? And then he returns before the end of the school semester. A lot of people talk about how Sunnydale is actually Santa Barbara. So I looked up the UC Santa Barbara <laughs> school semester. And this year in 2018, their fall quarter ends on December 15th. And I think that's pretty normal for San Diego UC system, um, the UC systems that they all end like in mid-December. So if Oz comes back before the end of the school year, but with enough time after this episode for the three remaining episodes of the season, which we could say take between maybe five and seven days, the most, the longest that Oz could possibly be gone is December, is November 7th to December 10th, which is only like just over a month so it was interesting to me it gets so romantic when he's laying on the bed and he's talking about traveling the world and he's been to romania and he's been to Tibet <laughs> meditating and he's learned so much but i was like when i looked at the days i was like wait a minute he can't have been in tibet for more than like one week <laughs> you know considering how long it would take him to get out of the u.s and travel through apparently all of europe and then get <laughs> to the himalayan mountains and then up to some tibetan monastery he's talking about it like he spent months there and really learned so much about himself but you're like he meditated for like maybe seven days isn't so, that typical of people who go on like a one-week yes, vacation and yes, come back they're like, I'm, <laughs> I'm a completely new person um but it's Honestly, when you look at it in that light, it's more like a quick fix. It's almost more like he went, yeah, he had this whole journey that felt like so deep. It's really, he tried to slap a Band-Aid on the werewolfism via one week meditation retreat and then came back being like, I'm a new man. <laughs> God, so, I, I have a question for you about this though. So was this always the plan for the show for Oz to go and come back? Because there's been a lot of weird things about this season where like Walsh, you know, is killed a little early in part. And then Oz apparently wanted to leave, you know, get a new contract and like do, I mean, I assume Austin Powers or some other thing. I mean, sorry, the actors. <laughs> didn't he go to, what show did he go to? Didn't you mention? Someone knows the show he went to, but he left to do a different thing, right? He did. He went to do movies is what I, my, my understanding. So are the, are the writers like, I mean, are, you know, you've put this together perfectly, which is like, it's about a month that he's gone. <laughs> was that the original intent then? I mean, he was never really, possibly never intended to leave the show. And then, but this episode was planned at a future date. And maybe this is the only time they could ever do this episode. I mean, yeah, I don't know how any of those. Did it rush the timeline dead. on Tara Willow to have this or was Tara Willow never intended to happen except because. I think, I think the they show? needed, I think writing wise, you needed Oz to come back to like, 
fix how badly he left. Yes. And I to agree. make like uh to make it a clear like like decision to move on with Tara instead of like like to, to make this to 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 have like a clear conversation make it like blatant because the show wasn't doing that um i want to point out that i did do i did different math did uh, you what did your math puppets in it <laughs> uh i just looked at the air dates of the episodes mm. and wild at hearts air date was november 9th and new moon's rising is uh may 2nd so mm. by that it's been like six months so i think we were uh looking at it being like this is near the end of the next semester instead of so have we they we never saw them go on christmas break but the show but the show did thanksgiving and then it's it didn't do a christmas episode this year hmm. okay in the year i can see that if it all right i accept that logic i was just thinking <laughs> that they never mentioned the end of the school year or like finals like in this season that they don't that they haven't reached that point yet but i yeah. guess they could have completely skipped them and skipped them signing up for the spring like quarter classes and all of that well even and they're presumably months, still sure. taking like still um, getting an a they're still getting an a from uh, we're still yeah up until a few weeks ago still taking maggie walsh's class like maybe it was a, a 101 that moved right on to a 201 or... oh boy and still being taught by a ta i guess <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i accept both of these timelines i, I want your listeners to write in and say whether they think it all happens in the fall semester or whether it rolls over into spring has Oz been gone for 30 days or three months? <laughs> I mean, either uh, way, that's still yeah. super short. Like yeah. six months went, for yeah. like to travel the world and learn like forbidden meditation techniques. That's pretty quick. And either way, it makes the all the characters, it's a reminder that they're not terribly mature. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I think the thing that doesn't like... It doesn't necessarily make sense that this episode, even though it aired May 2nd, it doesn't seem like it takes place in May because, like, A, everybody's wearing, like, fall coats. Mm. Uh, uh, they're not dressed in their summer attire yet. But um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Either way, it's totally, like, the quick fix. Of course, um, there's the third option, which is that time moves around the hell mouth at a different rate than it does in the rest of the world. And Oz could have been <laughs> gone for four months while only four weeks pass in Sunnydale. That's true. We don't know how hell math, the health time works. <laughs> <laughs> I love, though, any radical transformation, and you just say, went to Tibet, and people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, they're like, oh, checks out. That checks out. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely want to talk about the Tibet thing later. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so it's a good thing for Tara that Oz is the slowest <laughs> werewolf ever. Uh, uh, there's no helping it. Humans can't really run on four legs. It doesn't really work. Uh, <laughs> Poor Tara. She's been victimized twice now, you know, by the long arm monster and superstar and now by the werewolf. I feel like she's always the victim on this show, just constantly being chased. But she's I the new Joyce or the new Willow. She's the new Willow, which is crazy. Yeah, she should have smoke bombed him. <laughs> oh yeah, and the whole scent thing with with Oz going crazy about the scent. But it's like, you know, Willow had like you know Willow would have Xander's scent or Buffy's scent on her in the past. It was like no big deal, and and Oz had already seen Tara with Willow at the at the at Giles's house. So it's like, why is he going so? berserk 
unless <laughs> unless this is like a disclosure, like that something is happening off screen. I have a fan theory about that. I mean, I don't have. So, um, Tara's lipstick color changes fairly noticeable, th- noticeably three times over the course of this one day so i was only able to watch this one so forgive me if i'm getting this slightly incorrect but when willow um opens the door of, of tara's um dorm room in the morning tara's wearing one color of lipstick and then they have a little conversation and then the next time you see tara is when she sees oz and oz says the scent thing and she is now wearing a different color of lipstick and this maybe could indicate that Willow and Tara actually made out in the dorm room so much that Willow's, that Tara's lipstick was messed up enough she needed to put on a new color. Yeah. Maybe. Well, also, uh, at that point, she's wearing Willow's sweater. And she's wearing Willow's that, sweater. That the hoodie. She was, yeah. That mm-hmm. she was wearing, that Willow was wearing when they entered. So I think there definitely had to be something going on because, like, clothes got changed. Yes. Right. Clothes got changed and makeup got changed. Um, however, then um, Oz chases... Tara and then when Tara runs into Willow and lets her know that Oz has been kidnapped in the initiative she is wearing a third lipstick color <laughs> and this one does not have an explanation involving a possible off-screen makeout session my one thought was if you wanted to like explain this in the world of the show that maybe she was so upset after watching Oz get kidnapped that she had to go to the bathroom and like wash her face off and then her makeup came off because she was sweating and nervous and maybe even crying or something and then she put on uh, the third shade of the morning mm-hmm. <laughs> i can relate to that because the oz thing is super upsetting the whole it is I, in That's this true. whole episode everything is so unstated hmm. everything is super unstated this whole episode except when oz is like her smell is all over you and just the whole the Oz's like jealousy and like his, his jealousy is like super sexual and super like gross. And that is in direct contradiction with who Oz sees himself as or who Oz wants to be. Yeah. As, like, you know, in control and calm. And uh, that, that's that line of dialogue about, you know, she's all over you is so gross and it's so intense. Uh, it's kind of a, uh, ugh. that blew my mind watching it this time. Your, your fan theory, Maya, is really, really kind of blows my mind because I had always assumed that I had seen that the show would show the first kiss between Willow mm. and Tara. Oh, and no, definitely not, right? Definitely not. I think there's a lot of off-screen kissing. I think they've been making out for weeks and because the show just hasn't seen it. They were just so obsessed with like the, the Buffy Angel romance and it felt like they showed us the first parts of that. And oh, you're right, I guess, I guess it kind of blows my mind, you know, that there's all this off-screen stuff. I never really considered it because I always thought that the show would have shown the first parts of it because just to me, that was just kind of how the show worked. Well, but- they're discreet, right? They, I mean, you know, you see the discretion even in the last episode when the uh, sex house where Tara, uh, Willow just touches Tara's leg for like, not even like a second. Yeah. And then like the sexual repression kicks in. And I'm sure there's some amount of sexual repression in their discretion as well. But like, it's like on 11 and it's just like, it's just like a, not even a you almost if you don't know that there's something going on you wouldn't even catch that that's like a relationship hap- that's happened the only reason i wasn't totally on board is that it seems as if it's it would be it just seems a little unusual that willow and tara would be intimate privately but then willow be just still a little bit confused about the situation uh not just publicly but just it, it almost seemed like she was confused by how much they, they liked each other but it seemed if they were being you know that way in in, in private that she wouldn't be quite as confused but 
maybe maybe that's not the case for them. So I, don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I mean, I don't think Willow is confused about like, oh, we've been making out. I think that makes like I think she's confused about the feeling she's having, not about like right. the mechanics of the relationship. Right. She's confused about like discovering a new part of yourself. That kind of also large... people do that in real life all the time. Compartmentalize like that. Like that's. I feel like that's totally real. Yeah. And I think part yeah. of the, like the, the, we not, us not seeing the making out is like, uh, cause of the network and cause of the like homophobia of showrunners at the time and stuff and the like conservative nature of like network programming, right? Uh, I don't know if you, if we want to talk about it here. I actually was really curious where this episode fell in the chronology of TV coming out scenes and TV same sex. I have that. I have that yeah. timeline in my notes here. We're going to talk yeah, about it. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I also looked it up. So we should yes. maybe wait for themes. Though, right. or something. We'll put All that right, on well, the shelf. I believe you. I believe your theory. <laughs> I'm on board. I'm totally on board. That blows my mind. Uh, so Oz is very naked this episode. <laughs> uh, we definitely see a lot of Oz. <laughs> he looks so vulnerable when he's in that like cage and he's totally nude. I was like, have we seen this much nudity on Buffy before? I couldn't remember if We've this was- We've seen a... naked Oz before, but this feels different. This hey, feels when Angel so... came back from he hell, was he was pretty naked. naked. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So this is just, this is, I mean, a totally effective technique the show is using to show that our characters are in trouble and that we, our hearts should just pull for them is that they are naked and in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Naked and in a cage uh and being zapped. It just you don't get much more vulnerable than that. Uh <laughs> oh. Sorry, gang. The next question I was a request for John to enhance the image. Well okay, so our final visual exhibit, the last one in the document. Um, um no, there's well there's just so I don't mean the final, me. I mean the one the, literally the one I put at the bottom of the document, not the last one for us to talk about. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, looks like Adam's using what a telephone. So that, I believe you're correct. That is an RJ11 connector, which is what you plug your telephone in with. Um, so there's two possibilities here: either Adam's brain contains uh, a dial-up modem. modem, or Adam's brain is a DSL, a DSL modem. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to think it's DSL speed at least. You know, that would have oh, been sure. you know. What's crazy about this technology? Had, like it had like Ethernet cables back then. You'd think he yeah. would be more updated. Like, One would think they're not even using like the the most advanced technology of the year two thousand. <laughs> Government budget. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Adam he's is lucky he's Adam, not being run on vacuum tubes. Adam, Adam is Adam's <laughs> mobile, so he would have he could run from house to house and jack in, right? <laughs> like you, you can't assume that everyone's going to have that router. So <laughs> I'm jacked in. I was going to say, do you like the jacking in on on the, the side of the head versus the, in giant mnemonic, it's like the base of the skull, right? Yeah, the side of the head, Data has one there. He's got a connector there. Really? They ripped up Star Trek? Uh, yeah, this is a, yeah, that opening up this your head a, and plugging your wire in right there. It's a big rip. That's Data, yeah. I think it'd be great if it went up his nose. Wouldn't that make a really great gag? Or like it was in his ear, like his actual ear. He's like, hold on a second. <laughs> I like in uh, Alien Resurrection, it's like a mole on your arm. Yeah. Unplug. That movie doesn't get enough respect. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> it was up his nose. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. 
there's there's room for some good like character sketch you know or like uh, concept art on that i that has to have been done that's kind of a wonderfully gross thing to do like a well uh clearly riley's life is completely fucked now <laughs> and it's because his boss is dead you know when walsh moved on riley lost his purpose and also his place moved in the- on. <laughs> <laughs> right well when, you know when I, I'm trying to make it about impaled on a demon skewer, <laughs> but it sucks because you know in real life when this happens, if you get a new boss, like you have to start from zero, you're probably screwed because the person that was your boss put you there or hired you or maneuvered you to the position you're in, and now that new people are there, they don't know you and they want their friends there and their people, and so like it's just sad how effed his life is and like his kind of realization of that and that he now it's like completely AWOL from the initiative. And like, I just felt for him because I'm like, oh dude, you used to be such a big deal at the initiative and now you're nothing. Yeah. And, and I just see the piece that's missing is, you know, your mom boss. And I'm like, I'm so sad for Riley. <laughs> yeah, but now he's gonna like, you know, make food for food, not bombs. So he's gonna be fine. <laughs> All right, enter anarchist uh, Riley. I really thought this was interesting, Mike, that you like, um, gravitated towards Riley in this episode, like a thing in your real life, like was connecting with this character. Um, <laughs> well, not to get uh, too much into it. No, no, please, let's not. But anyway, yeah, uh, it felt very real. Um, I just wanted to point out that when they break into the initiative, men are military and women are scientists. Because uh, Buffy and Willow dress up like scientists, and Xander and Spike dress up like military guys, and it's like you know that meme, the like ah the two genders, and it's like you know. Uh, uh, different things but a good one would be like um in the Muppet Christmas Carol like all of Kermit and Miss Piggy's family like all the boys are frogs and all the girls are pigs <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess yeah the initiative being at a frat house they have to have all dude soldiers do you think there's like a sorority across the street of soldiers or of initiative scientists maybe all scientists <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that that would be a lovely uh thing to explore just like a really dumb short film a great one-off episode for this season would have been like following the female scientists all around yeah i mean i definitely have theories that um the initiative staffed entirely by people who are masquerading in different areas on campus like because there was that one guy with like a hookah shell necklace who was like a scientist uh like way back on i was like the guy forgot to take off his uh frat clothes (laughs) Um, so, okay, the the final uh, image in the document, uh, the demon in the cage next to Oz is the mask, the Makita mask from Reptile Boy, but wearing a cloak. Uh, and you can scroll. The first the first image uh, is from this episode. And that's as, as close as I could get. They never did a close-up of it. But that's the same mask as Makita, who's on the right then. Clearly. Um, Do you think he's got like a snake body under that cloak? <laughs> Well, if you remember, Makita was cut in half. So I think ah. underneath that, it's just this body that's been cut in half. And that's why he's embarrassed and he's wearing the cloak. It looks like such low like rent Star Wars. It's like extra from the cantina. Love it. There's some really good uh, in future Angel episodes, uh, reusing of masks with cloaks. Also, I'm going to point out. From Buffy? From? Yeah. Yeah, oh. like a mask from Buffy is reused in the background scene of some angel, but like, it's good. Waste not, want not. 
Yeah, I mean, those masks are lying around. You got to use them. Is it embarrassing to go back to high school when uh, A, it wasn't your high school, and B, it's all blown up? <laughs> uh, just because Riley ends up like sleeping at the Sunnydale High School overnight. Although he is I continuing to rock his like Walmart camping gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, where did all this camping gear come from? Like, there's a thermos. <laughs> Obviously, the. Uh, um, been prepping? Yeah. <laughs> obviously the canteen earlier was to foreshadow him having to camp out irl this is the tip of the iceberg of all of his leftover boy scout camping gear yeah him and adam were in boy scouts together <laughs> final note here which is about the very end when um willow is sitting with oz in his van and they're kind of having that conversation where Oz kind of like so i guess this is not gonna work and he has a line where i think he says something like it was stupid of me to stupid of me for to to assume that you would just wait for me um and willow has to really make the choice that's kind of like it kind of comes down to like oz versus tara here and what i feel like so often willow serves as the emotional mirror of the audience like willow is feeling what we as the viewers are feeling and that totally continues to be true here that we love oz so much and his, his leaving in the last and wild at heart was very rough and this episode does a lot to sort of flesh that out and make make us remember what we liked about him but we're also really coming to love tara too and so i feel like this choice carries like a really nice amount of weight because we really it's like it would be easy if it was willow was choosing between her new girlfriend and like an abusive boyfriend or like a shitty boyfriend but it's between tara and and oz who we love so i really liked that this was like a, a nuanced emotional seat moment here yeah thank you maya for that reading very true yeah. all right well that is it for weird noticings and trivia let's uh move on to questions for the group questions for the group i'm just going to continue right from that to the question of like for breakups do you prefer to leave town immediately to never be seen again or to like stick around and really dissect what's going on and really really get into it. Uh, I honestly town. think skipping town. I'm a big fan <laughs> of skipping town. I've done it. Skipping town works for all parties involved. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd rather just peace out, but there's a stereotype in the lesbian community, especially that if you especially if you stay in the city you will have to be friends with your ex because the lesbian community in even in a big city like los angeles is small enough that inevitably one of your friends or extended friend group people will end up dating your ex so you <laughs> have to at least be able to like be at a party with them and be cool so it kind of depends on what community you're in yeah and whether you are literally willing to leave the state <laughs> yeah in uh, jane's world page or jane mm -hmm. calls it the inverted triangle because like you <laughs> you know like because there's only so many lesbians and only so many that you get along with and stuff so mm -hmm. and it, everybody ends up like knowing each other's exes and dating each yep. other's exes yep uh mike <laughs> so riley wakes up every morning with push-ups What's your morning routine? Not that. Not that. <laughs> I hit snooze once every day. That's once is fine. Once is great. Once is fine. 
You can do once. That's a beautiful thing. But I also, um, my cell phone is in the other room from my bed, so I, it forces me to get up to turn it off. Yep. John, John has the coolest morning routine. I think of all of I'm not doing everything I used to do, but at one point where it was really worked out to a science, I had uh, the coffee maker by the bed. I would, you know, the alarm would go off. I would turn on the coffee maker, snooze the alarm, and then the alarm would go off the second time. And I'd have coffee in bed with my like, I had a, um, like a home theater PC connected to a, a monitor that was connected to the end, the foot of my bed. And I would watch YouTube videos in bed while I would have my coffee. Oh. That's pretty sick, dude. It was like the the Michael Scott wake up routine from the office where he's like, I like to wake up to the smell of bacon, but I don't have a butler. (laughs) (laughs) So he he has the George Foreman grill by his bed. (laughs) So he ends up burning his foot. I was going to say before cell phones, I used to, the way I would wake myself up on like a day that I didn't have to go to school or work, I was to have a book next to my bed and I would pry my eyes open and attempt to just start reading before I was even fully awake. Wow, uh, that's crazy. To just like immediately get back because I love reading. I read a hundred books a year. Reading's very important to me and I'm usually raising five books at once. So I just try to like immediately make myself get right back into whatever story I'd set down last before I went to bed. But I will say now that I have a cell phone, it's more likely that my morning routine is like three snoozes and 30 minutes on Instagram, which I don't love and would like to train myself out of. So uh, does anyone want to share any coming out stories? I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) I literally wrote a book about it. Um, I don't want to bore your listeners, but yeah, I did mention earlier the very first time I came out like Willow to Buffy was to my best friend. And it was just before we started freshman year of high school. And it was a kind of situation where I'd had a a terrible year long crush on a girl in our eighth grade class um, who was not gonna come to the same high school as us. So it felt kind of safe because it was like, well, I had a crush on this girl, but I'll probably never see her again. So now I can tell you about it. Um, And my best friend, I would say responded slightly worse than Buffy. I would have given her a response if Buffy gets a B plus, my friend got like a C. Um, (laughs) Where she was kind of like, well, okay. I mean, I'm glad you told me. Um, It's probably just a phase. Don't get a crush on me. But, you know, I don't feel any way about it. And I'm like, I think you do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I would then... um, I came out then a lot more times in high school. Um, we had There was a Gay-Straight Alliance um, at my high school that started up actually my freshman year. So I joined that before I had actually come out to anyone else aside from my best friend, but I felt like that was kind of a little bit of a signal. Um, and then I went on to come out to multiple people in high school. And most people were just like, that's cool. Um, and this is probably because I grew up in the very liberal Bay Area where there was a gay-straight alliance in my high school in the year 2003. And there were other out students like in the upper grades. Um, one story I will tell a little bit more in full is I um, I did finally decide to come out to my mom when I was in, a, as a senior in high school, I think I was seven, I think I was 17. It was just before my birthday. And we were sitting on the deck outside in the sun and we were petting cats. And I think we'd maybe we'd been chatting or we'd been reading together. I can't quite remember. And I I was very nervous, even though I have two out queer family members. So I knew it was like not going to be any big deal, but I was just sort of like nervously like, mom, so I think maybe I'm bi. And she was just kind of like, I always thought you're one of those kids who could go either way. And I was just like, yep. (laughs) 
So that, my mom, A plus, A plus response. <laughs> That's interesting because, like, even now, like, hanging out with friends who have kids, like, they are making those kind of guesses about their kids based on their early behavior. And it mm-hmm. is interesting, like, those thoughts exactly coming across some of the, uh, some parents' minds. Mm-hmm. And, like, being a part of that conversation really early, I'm like, really? You think from this amount of behavior, you have seven years of information, you think? Uh, that's really that's really wonderful yeah i uh, oh go ahead sorry i i was gonna hear my coming out stories but they're different um i did then i had to come out a whole second time after grad school when i started to come out as gender non-binary and that i would definitely say was much harder it's less related to this episode or what willow goes through here um but for me it was like coming out about sexuality was pretty easy because i live in a super like liberal area and everyone kind of understands crushes like even if they're like oh i've never had a crush on someone of the same gender presentation as me they've had a crush probably but not everyone has like debated their own gender identity so that i definitely found was a harder concept for people to understand and a harder concept to explain but i want to hear yes i want to hear the stories you reference in the doc michael Sure. So I I don't know how to frame these because it's like in a way you feel, you know, flattered that people, you know, come out to you in a way because they want to be in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really challenging because that's happened to me a number of times. So, you know, it happened to me at least uh, four times in college. And it's like you're flattered, you know, same same time. But like uh, there's something about my behavior that like signals some something about me that I'm gay. But Mm -hmm. I like I'm living a pretty heteronormative lifestyle. I'm married, you know, to a woman, but like, there's something about my behavior that signaled a lot of like something, something particularly like gay or homosexual. And I, I got a lot of like coming out to me because like, that was the thing that was apparently I was waiting for was a moment where someone gave me some time to come out. And like, Mm. it didn't, it didn't happen because I, I just misread the situation. I thought we were good friends or whatever, but it's like, I'm not trying to completely misread the situation over and over again at this point. It's just, it was just like a weird awkwardness that happened. And like, I'm, I I don't, I I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy it. And I wonder if that's like the sad thing that like, you know, happens as a, in like, in, in sexual culture where, you know, you want the story to have a positive or a happy ending when someone comes, you know, someone comes out to you and says like, and you know, like, I, I, you know, I want to make out with you i want to like be in a relationship with you but like i have all these sad stories because i feel like they all ended poorly and i wasn't into it and i feel bad about it like some guilt because i clearly like led this person on with my behavior or like showed that i was some like a good companion in some ways but it was always it was always very frustrating because it ended the relationship completely you know from friendship just like completely being shut down because it wasn't it didn't get to turn sexual the way the person you know intended or like to become more serious and it really bothered me but it's would, like, I'm flattered, but sad. Michael, I would say, please don't blame yourself for that. And I actually have a totally different reading on that. I've had that experience too, where I am out, I am queer, and I've had people, both male and female, be interested in a relationship with me. And there's no reason why I wouldn't, like, in that I'm bi, so like, I would be interested in anyone, but I wasn't interested in that person. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And I have also had this end relationships and I don't think it necessarily has to do with sexuality so much as people misreading a gesture of friendship or relationship that's a friendship as one that is has a potential to be romantic. And I find this so frustrating because I 
like friendship is really important to me and I have many, many close friends. And in general, many people almost, almost throughout my entire life have assumed I was dating at least one of my people I was only a platonic friend with. And it because we were just so close and we would do things like get each other presents or hold hands or talk on the phone every day or the type of thing that you might do in a romantic relationship. But to me, that is just a friendship thing. And I hate it when people misread that as romantic and it, yeah, it can be really painful. I've had friendship ends, friendships end for the exact same reason. And I don't think, Michael, it's necessarily about people thinking that you are gay, although maybe that was part of it, but really more like just misreading. It sounds like you're a good friend and they misread that. <laughs> well, I, I thank you. Uh, I really appreciate how you frame that. That makes it a little easier. You know, I don't think about this stuff all the time, but this episode brings it out for sure. Yes. And like, you know, I think about the way that I behaved in high school, you know, and like, for instance, John. John and I are like these people that talk all night when we hang out. We talk until, you know, we have to go to get coffee at an all night place so we can stay up until three and keep talking because we have so many amazing ideas. And so like John and I have this really unique and intense relationship sometimes where we'll talk forever. And like, we have totally been called out together as gay. Like people yeah. just said, mm -hmm. said that stuff like, oh, it's true, blah, 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 because we were just walking together and like not holding hands, but being like locking eyes really intensely and being too excited about every single idea. And like, I took all that same behavior with me through my entire life. And that's like, I like an in, a certain amount of intensity. And I just know that I like, that's really exciting. Uh, and the same with Travis as well. You know, I, I, I call it John because I don't think I've ever been outed in public except <laughs> when I've been with John. Well, and because you and John did star in a movie together where you fell in love. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> we also made a movie upon a documentary about, it. uh, but I think that was also about the day you die and I'll revive you. You can find it on archive.org. <laughs> I edit. This I, podcast. yes, I love that kind of the, like there's a book. Um, I can't remember the author, but it's called, I think I'm in friend love with you. And it's a <laughs> wonderful little comic book. And it's about that. Like, I think like the kind of friendship I want to have with you is like, kind of intense and might be misread as romantic, but it's really more just like, I'm obsessed with your brain and you make my life a better life. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, males can't handle friend love. And this is only <laughs> only men have you know, come out to me in that way. So it's only males can't handle it and just want to make it serious. That is a tragedy for the world. And if there could be more, pe just more friendship in general, but more people who are identifying as male in like passionate French, like lifelong, like platonic soulmate level friendships, I think everything would be better. Welcome to the podcast. Hey! <laughs> That's what this thing is. Yeah. Uh, Travis, so, you got the next so, one? Yeah. So we all saw Spike as betraying the Scoobies, or is it too soon to tell if he really betrayed this, the, the Scoobies? Or is he being an opportunist? Is oh, it, do you mean too soon, like, as in he's not really a part of the Scoobies, so he can't really betray them, or...? No, or is it trail hasn't really happened. So, 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 you know, Adam shows up, almost kind of kills Spike, but then Spike's like, okay, yeah, let's do this. But like, does he really mean let's do this? Because Adam shows up at my doorstop, I might agree to do something. <laughs> All the while thinking, man, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. <laughs> so do we think Spike is really going to betray the Scoobies? Here's how I would defeat Adam. I would press the eject button on his disc chest. All his brains would shoot right out of his head. <laughs> a big magnet? You know, one of those really big magnets and just put it over his circuits. Oh, God. The only answer I have to this is that, like, Adam 
is the least interesting part of this episode again. <laughs> I just don't care. And Adam's there. <laughs> I think Spike is going to betray Adam. I think there's no way out of it. Like, Adam, you know, has a Give lot of, like, is Give intimidating. Scoobies. He's going to betray Adam. Well, he's going to betray Adam and the Scoobies. He's going to, you know, he's pro-Spike. But, like, I, that's what I think will happen. Yeah, so I don't, it may this... inadvertently help the Scoobies, but it's more like it's pro-Spike. Yeah, I don't at this point see that Spike could betray the Scoobies because he's not a part of them. Mm. Like, you know, when a villain he's just a bad him. guest. Yeah, he's, he's like he's like the scorpion. Guest. He's like the scorpion and the frog. And the fro- mm. you know. uh, I don't know how they wrote this character. He's so bizarre. The fact that he just pops in, he's like, uh, you know, invites himself in and then tells them he can get them into the initiative, and like we're all accepting this weird character is real and then yesterday you know yesterday last week he's robbing people <laughs> without uh any um you know consequence but i i think he's going to betray the scoobies and adam so that i thought it's a prediction <laughs> all right Mary, you got the next one i do i have a last question here um which is a little bit more for the people who watched Buffy when it aired. And I was, I was wondering if people, if this was the first coming out scene people saw on TV, this is more for, yeah, the, the people who viewed it uh, live. So this episode came out on May 2nd, 2000. Um, and then I also, this maybe is, could be a segue. It looks like, I think John and I both researched TV coming out scenes. And maybe this is a bit, a place to go into that a little. Yeah, we can go into that. Are the research, is the research present on the doc? Or? No. Sorry, no. Okay. <laughs> Um, um, oh yeah, I don't think it's the first coming out scene I saw on TV. Um, although it's dumb because I think the only one I can really th- think of is from Star Trek DS9, uh, which was uh, Jadzia yeah, five years before this. Com- yeah, like not coming out as gay, but like being like open to relationships of any gender because she's an alien who switches gender. Right. Love uh, it with her body with their bodies uh so like i mean uh the ellen coming out was like a, yes. one of the big landmark yep. thing that's yep. 97 i believe yeah i remember the prior to this do i mean want to go through get the list that you found um john yeah the list i have so i i i was specifically interested in kisses because mm, yeah. that's something that's really missing from this episode i feel like um yeah. and because like i think uh it's interesting to me that this episode doesn't have the kiss, at least, you know, not yet. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to see like, well, how conservative were they being by not having the kiss? And um, so like in terms of same sex kisses uh, on TV, uh, LA Law did the first one in 91, Picket Fences did it in 93, Roseanne did it in 94, The Real World the Roseanne one. also in 94, uh, Deep Space Nine did it in 95, uh, there's some show called Relativity, which I had not heard of, did it in 97. And then Dawson's Creek did it the same year as this. So yeah. like, I feel like there's not a ton of excuses in terms of like what people could handle or what the network could, could handle uh, if them not being able to do it this year because they've been done several times. And Dawson's Creek on the same network, like on, I think is a time slot before or after, did it the same year. I will say, so I found all those same, uh, same dates and such. I will say that um, I also found... In 93, um, CBS's Picket Fences had a scene where two teen girls kiss and the network demanded the scene be reshot in the dark so you don't actually see the kiss. And then that 94 episode of Roseanne, 
um, ABC threatened not to air it. And it was actually right. dicey. And there were um, uh, advertisers threatening to poll and stuff. But they did air it and it was seen by 30 million people. So I don't know. I, I felt like um, and the Dawson's Creek one that you mentioned, that's called on a list that I found the first romantic kiss between two gay male characters because it's actually their boyfriends and it's passionate right. and there maybe even is like a little bit of tongue. There had been an earlier one in um, this on Will and Grace, but it was, and it was two gay, but they were friends and it was more like a political move. Like they were, it was actually, a, the episode was about a network refusing to air a gay kiss and then they kiss each other more like to be like this is what a gay kiss looks like Mwah. but it was kind of more like a quick peck between friends yeah. to prove a point than being like i'm really passionate about you and this is like a heated moment um are so these I gay felt, kisses, yeah. sorry question are these gay yeah. kisses all women kissing so Mostly. the first the first one on in 91 on la law was yep. two women Yep. Um, on Will and Grace, it was two men, and on Dawson's Creek, it was two men, um, and on Roseanne, it was two women. So it's actually it's a mix. Um, and then there were other episodes that notably didn't have kisses, like Friends had an episode in '96 called "The One with the Lesbian Wedding," where two secondary characters who are lesbians get married, but there's no kiss shown in the wedding ceremony, for right. example. Um, so I felt like that though this episode wasn't like groundbreaking the very first it was right in there with a whole batch right. of firsts and a list that i found called it the first slowly developing gradual right. lesbian relationship between two lead characters who went on to be on the show for many seasons um for example the the 91 lesbian kiss one of the characters who had kissed and was quickly written out of the show and the other one ended up with a man so they didn't follow up on the storyline so this is the thing that i ran across is that yeah exactly that that like there was actually so there's a whole rash of these in the 90s of shows that would do what you typically one lesbian kiss and then all those characters were either like they were one shots or they'd be written off the show immediately afterwards and it was kind of a thing that was done almost salaciously for it was a like a yeah, hype promotion thing I yeah and that. and this episode what's really interesting about the way that buffy's handling it is it's kind of the opposite yeah. where they're able to show the relationship but not the physical side of it and it's also interesting to me that like this whole episode their whole relationship like lives inside like ellipses like when yeah. they talk about it um you know like uh buffy's whole like oh you mean uh you mean oh and like in that whole scene neither of them say it and mm -hmm. even at the end or the like in the closing uh, shot of this thing where tara says you mean and then willow says i mean and they can't say it like the word like not like not only do they not say lesbian or bisexual they don't say girlfriend they don't, they don't say, say love they don't say yeah none of that is there and it's it's interesting to me that like the the lines that they feel like they can and can't cross and it feels to me very calculated like very intentional of like what they felt like they could and couldn't do does that uh, feel true to the characters to you besides being just like a it does i think probably like the thing with that coming out scene that seems feels to me feels real and it's not something i've lived through in my life but to me feels real is that like it's probably true that like willow wouldn't feel like she can say it yet or that buffy doesn't yeah. feel like mm -hmm. she can say it yet i think that's partly does feel real but it's also really weird that nobody can say it. even like oz when he has his like werewolf moment 
He's like, are you, are you involved? Which is like the most clinical technical way to refer to it. Like what he really means is, are you fucking? Like that's what he- Yeah, means. I would have, I would have guessed he would have said hooking up. Yeah. In college. <laughs> yeah. That term that uh, I know gets a lot of, uh, is too ambiguous <laughs> for a prediction on this show. <laughs> oh my God, you really do listen to us. Oh yeah, the council of hooking up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, it's really interesting to me because like, I feel like, like kind of like you're saying, the show's not exactly ahead of the curve. It's kind of just like on the curve. I, yeah, on the curve. That's a good way to put it. Um, which is interesting, but also like in this way, that's almost this inversion of the way other shows are doing it. Where yeah. like they have the relationship, but it's, it literally, like even when they blow out the candle, like it lives in this place that's just off screen. Yeah. It's interesting. It's in the dark too. Cause that's something that happened earlier. Like that's yeah. an established mm -hmm. way of handling it is to turn out the lights or like fade to black. Yeah, good research, John. You <laughs> high, high five through. <laughs> it's such a well-studied thing, too, like the history of uh, queer representation on TV. Like, it's super studied, and, like, there's a lot of, like, quant studies on it, too, of, like, um, you know, GLAD has been um, keeping stats on this since 2005 of, like, exactly how many queer characters are there, what exactly are they, you know, how, are we, how do we see them, are they regulars? All that stuff is, like, really, really well. Uh, it's in databases and stuff. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I could throw out a link if um, a listener wants to look up even more. Um, sorry, let me pull. There's timeline colon gaze in posture, which is on www.infoplease.com slash entertainment slash timeline hyphen gaze hyphen pop hyphen 1934 to 2010. So that's a link if you want to run through all of this, if you didn't quite catch every year and every show name. Um, you can dive into that more there at home at your leisure. Or nice. the documentary uh, Cellulite Closet, which is a little dated now. It's, a, it's from like, what, 2002 or something. But um, good, good, good documentary. Yeah. I was looking for lesbian witch movies for Rex, and I found a good list. The title, it's from Autostraddle, and the title of the list is 55 Fictional Witches Ranked by Lesbianism. <laughs> <laughs> But I almost shared it, but it has some major Buffy spoilers, like right at number two and one. <laughs> but I just was like, that's a good title for a list. And it's a full 55. Um, Glad to hear right. Buffy's so highly rated. Uh, all right. Uh, that's been questions. Why don't we move on to uh, recommendations? Recommendations. So for movies for this week, uh, I've been holding on to this one for a while. It's a really good werewolf movie uh, called Dog Soldiers. Uh, I've been holding on to it because it's military versus werewolves, which this uh, episode finally gets. Um, and it's uh, from 2002, I think. And it's uh, directed by uh, Neil Marshall, who did um, The Descent, and he's doing the new Hellboy movie. Uh, and it's a British movie. So British werewolf versus uh, or British army versus werewolves. It's really good and entertaining, uh, but did definitely came out in 2002 and has like weird matrix jokes in it that are super dated. Like there's a character named spoon just so that he can be killed by a werewolf. And then a character, then they can be like, where's spoon. There is no spoon. Oh my God. <laughs> uh. um, wow. This is what year is this? Uh, 2002. <laughs> At least it's recent. So it's before The Descent. It's the movie that he made right before The Descent. And um, since then, he's mostly been directing like prestige TV. He's been doing like Westworld and Game of Thrones and stuff. Uh, 
I'm also going to recommend uh, the 1989 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, which is one of my favorite movies. I've never recommended it on this show before. The, re- the reason I'm recommending it is super weird, but when um, Riley is like holding Oz, and Oz is so tiny in Riley's giant body, it always reminds me of the scene where Casey Jones is like carrying Splinter, and Splinter is this tiny little puppet. And he's like <laughs> holding him on his shoulder, and he's like, family this is about family <laughs> uh, so like Oz is just so tiny he looks like a little puppet man compared to uh, Big Riley um, and the only lesbian witch movie I'm going to recommend this episode there's more obviously but uh, they can be saved for later uh, but I'm going to recommend uh, Baba Yaga uh, which is I think an Italian movie it's based on the Guido Crepex uh, comics uh, Valentina which um, I have the huge collection of for Fantagraphics. Awesome comic. Uh, the movie is really good also. It's, Valentina is the main character, and she gets seduced by the lesbian witch, uh, Baba Yaga. Um, and like a lot of uh, queer representation from any period except for today, it's not super friendly. Friend, like, the lesbian is evil. Uh, <laughs> you know, this. That, it was actually really hard to find. I couldn't really find one where that wasn't like more modern where like the gay representation isn't like also coded as like super problematic. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I like your little problematic dance. Uh, So those are my recommendations. Maya, why don't you do some? Yeah, I have one as well. So um, I wanted to recommend the Miles Vorkosigan series in general. It's a sci-fi series. There are God, like at least 15 books. It's space opera. Um, but I especially wanted to recommend a short story called Labyrinth. And it's in a collection. I'm going to hold it up to the little camera here called Borders of Infinity, which is it's the whole series is written by Lois McMaster Bejold. This book in particular came out in 1989. Um, it contains three novellas that are about the lead character, Miles Vorkosigan, who's the leader of a space mercenary uh, crew um and there's the middle story called labyrinth he um is tasked to go into a research laboratory and um acquire a genetic sample out of a beast that's being held literally in a cage in the basement and he sneaks in and he's thinking he's going to acquire the genetic sample and then kill the beast um but he gets there and realizes the beast is much more human than he thought and it's definitely one of those cases of a wolf-like creature being like is this a beast or is this a human that needs to they fall in love um that would be spoilers but i do think (laughs) you enjoy this story dennis spoiler free podcast (laughs) It's, the uh, whole series is really good. It's won tons of Hugo's. I love these books, so read them. And I'm going to go ahead and recommend your comic. Sorry, I'm just going to pull it up right now. But it's thematically appropriate. Uh, the a Heritage of Woods. Oh, yeah. I wrote that. Ha-ha! <laughs> I drew that. I didn't write it. Uh, which I'll show a little bit to the camera now. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it a little. It's good. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes. Birthday gift I got. This is um. So the story I spoke to you soon. The story is written by S. M. Biko, is a Canadian author, and it was for a comic anthology called The Gothic Tales of Haunted Love, which was all horror love stories um, with a particular focus on uh, characters of like diverse backgrounds. So the story that I drew for it is about um, a woman who's a descendant of Ukrainian immigrants in Canada, whose grandmother, there's this sort of family legend that she disappeared into the forest with a leshy, which is a, a Ukrainian forest spirit. And then she is visited and tempted by the same spirits. And 
she, to spoil this story, it's only 10 pages long, she abandons her husband for the forest monster. Yeah. Yeah. Always go monster when you can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, That's Rex. Why don't we do predictions? Virgin Predictions. So at the moment, uh, Michael, you have uh, 109 confirmed predictions, 64 denied predictions, thus giving you uh, 63 and change percent accuracy. Uh, Let's see how you did this episode. So in episode uh, six of this season, Michael, you predicted Oz will return. I'd say that's confirmed. Thank you. Uh, in that same episode, you predicted that there would be no more non-Oz werewolves on Buffy. That, I'm afraid, is soundly denied. I accept that those were werewolves in this episode. <laughs> and then the one that we have here that I, I think we can maybe settle this episode. It's a bit interesting. Mike, you said Willow will be surprised. This is season four, episode 16, a few episodes ago. You said Willow will be surprised to discover that she is in a romantic relationship with Tara. So I think specifically what you were noticing is that Willow was slipping into a romantic relationship without really being fully aware of it. And so what do you guys think? I think this one is very uh, debatable. Do you I think, think Willow this is, is surprised to find herself in this relationship at this point? I think it's denied because Mike was like specifically thinking about the idea that she doesn't know that she's in a relationship. And right. I think Willow does know. I think others are surprised. Will, uh, Buffy is surprised, but I don't think Willow is. Okay, I, that seems like a reasonable argument. Travis, you want to weigh in? I, I, think, I think Dennis is right. I think the, the way Michael had given the original prediction was kind of like Tara was going to say something and it would be like, we're in a relationship and Willow would be like, what? That's what it right. felt like his original prediction was. Okay, Maya, do you have a thought on this? Yeah, I... I'm going to go with the the crowd on this one, but I do want to say that I think maybe Willow was surprised by the depth of her feeling perhaps in this episode, but not surprised by the relationship itself. Sounds like that is denied. So at this point, Michael, this puts Wait, you... Um, didn't he, doesn't he have a longstanding prediction that he said the initiative will not capture a werewolf? Oh. Wasn't there, so yeah, there was something about werewolf or something. One second. I, mean, I know there's the werewolf lawyer one, but I thought he said. Oh, you're Dennis, you are absolutely correct. I missed that one. Thank you. Season four, episode seven, Michael, you predicted that the initiative will not capture a werewolf. That's true. That's a bizarrely specific That was foolish. <laughs> I thought we were like, werewolves. We're like, what's going to happen when they capture us? I mean, all of us were thinking this at the time. <laughs> Michael, I'm afraid uh, you dropped from a 63% to a 62.1468966. Well, I will foolishly make more predictions about what will happen next on this show. So, uh, prediction one, Tara and Willow are going to get a cat together. Tara and Willow will get it. Uh, Adam is going to remove Spike's chip. No, it hasn't officially happened or has it hasn't happened off screen. It's been threatened to happen. Yeah, but it's, it's clear order. that's the bargain that's going on. I think it will happen. Uh, Spike is going to betray Adam because fuck that guy. He was sleeping. 
Uh, Amy's going to have to reveal herself to avoid the cat. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you think Amy's just chilling as the rat and that she can get out anytime she wants? Uh, okay, okay. Maybe I need to rephrase this because I think that the spell will have to be undone because of the cat. Let me make it back clearer because that makes it sound like Amy has power over the spell. So let me change the wording on that one. I'm sorry. Uh, Amy will have to be... Amy will need to be transformed back into a human because of the cat. <laughs> Excellent. And then Spike is going to betray the Scoobies. So Spike will betray Adam, Spike will betray the Scoobies. I feel like that prediction is kind of vague and could apply like at any time. Do we want to be in the next year? Uh, do you mean so in a timeline? But Spike is going to betray the Scoobies before the end of season four. Oh. Okay, cool. You know we don't have much of season four left. I do. I'm aware. I'm aware. It's only taken us seven months to get this far. <laughs> yeah, when you said that, I was like shocked. Uh, I mean, although we did just take like a month off, but. <laughs> do I need to say Spike's going to betray Adam before the end of season four? Because Adam ain't making uh, it to season five. I think that's pretty clear. You want to make a prediction about that? Or do you already have one about that? I certainly have predicted Adam's demise. John, is that in the doc somewhere? Uh, let me see. If I don't, please, let's add one. We have predicted that Adam will get hacked. <laughs> that, uh, specifically that Faith will kill Adam. And that Faith, uh, at one point, this has been denied already, but Mike predicted that Faith uh, in Buffy's body would kill Adam. That would have been so cool. All right. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's all of our Adam predictions. All right, Adam is going to up. die in season four. Okay. There you go. There you go. Toy. Making more general <laughs> predictions. All right. Uh, now let's loop around back um, to themes. So, yeah, so there's like we could look, we had a whole list of big themes this episode, and a lot we've already kind of addressed. Uh, we had the coming out to friends. Yeah. Um, so, I'll just list them now and then we could go back into them. Uh, lose, losing uh, your job slash purpose, um, trying to reconnect with old friends slash lovers, uh, Tibet, Tibetan mysticism as a trope. Um, I seconded the coming out theme because I felt like I saw Willow come out to Buffy, Buffy outing Oz as a werewolf to Riley, hmm. Willow coming out to Oz slash Oz kind of outing Tara and Willow, and then Buffy also having to come out to Riley as someone who's previously dated vampires. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then you have the... Um, yeah, and then I also felt like werewolfism is very often a metaphor for something else um, in stories. And it felt like sometimes, like in Harry Potter, it, there's an established fan theory that it's a metaphor for being HIV positive. Um, and also in this episode, I felt like it could have been that or it could have also been read as an unspecified just like mental illness. Um, so, and I felt like the HIV positive metaphor stood up in the bigot scene when Buffy you know mentions that oz is a werewolf and riley goes i didn't think willow was like into dangerous guys and that is something that is said about two unsupportive people to people dating other people who are hiv positive that that's dangerous that you're risking yourself there or that maybe you would not date someone who's hiv positive um, because of this the stigma that still exists um so i felt like that could stand for as a metaphor there 
Um, but then also, you know, just the way that, that Oz tries to just, you know, meditate the werewolfism away when, and then feels like he's all better when maybe what he needs is to meditate every day, that this isn't something that's just going to disappear. It's something that he needs to actively maintain his mental health throughout his whole life by, say, like a regular medication routine, regular therapy, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I think that totally, we, we talked about that when we watched the episode about um, uh, him trying to treat it like it's a cure. Yes. It's really a condition that is a consistent condition that he has like under control, but could have flare ups again. I mean, it really reminds me of mental illness because of my personal experience, but like, uh, yeah. And that also leads to my like kind of uh, anti-Buddhism <laughs> um, for lack of a better term. Uh, just I, I get really frustrated with Tibetan mysticism as a trope. It's a big trope in like superhero stories and stuff. But like, because um, I uh, went to high school in Bloomington, Indiana, which has a really large uh, Buddhist uh, um, community. Like the Dalai Lama's brothers lives there, so there's like a Tibetan monastery or there's a Buddhist monastery there. Um, and I just came to see, t- you, you know, I mean, not to, this is making me sound maybe like a bigot, but like, I just, uh, I see Buddhism as the same as any other religion uh, with its goods and its bads. But um, when my brother uh, had uh, mental illness issues and went to the Buddhists, they did not help him. They took advantage of him the way a lot of anyone from any, you know, other churches would, uh, taking financial advantage and kind of kicking a person out when they're like more trouble than they're worth. Um, so I don't see any like... <laughs> True holism, like holy. Uh, sorry, it's. I don't know. I have a great way. It's too personal for me to like say this in a more PC way. I guess I haven't. Uh, but I don't see like. Well, let, let me let me echo what you're talking yeah. about a little bit here, Dennis. I don't. This is m- my personal experience with that situation. Uh, I I used to work at a in Bloomington at a at a Tibetan restaurant that was uh, owned and uh, operated by uh, the Dalai Lama's nephew. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would bring in monks uh, from uh, monasteries who were in exile in India. And the way they treated those guys was awful. And they were like really exploited for their labor was how it looked to me, you know, and I can't pretend to understand everything about the situation. Um, but it just was really clear to me that just because you're the Dalai Lama's nephew doesn't mean you're not a sleazy businessman. <laughs> like every other restaurant I've ever worked at in my life, it was very much like taking advantage of labor to the fullest extent they could. It was, and those guys were, it was a rough situation because those guys didn't speak English. They were really under control of, uh, of the monastery and they were being used at, you know, in a for-profit restaurant. It was, it was yeah, icky. Yeah, and I just think we, the, the, the culture we live in like really looks up to Buddhism. Like it's not a religion, like it's beyond, like it's above. It's more pure. Religion. Yeah, right. and that just hasn't been my experience. And it's also, yeah, it's not, it's, yeah. It's a real thing, so it's complicated. Yeah. I'm just, I, there's that trope about white guy Buddhism and just like commodified, you know, religion where it's like you buy the beads, you buy the chakra, you buy the, you know, your Ganesh statue and like you get it. You're part of that, yep. you know, community. And like that's the Buddhism that I see that is on display here is like, you know, there's a commoditized form of it that Oz has, you know, consumed and now he has it, whatever that is, right. that spiritualism. You know that mysticism. He traded a Radiohead record for it. 
I would say that mysticism as a trope, Dennis mentioned, I think it's, it's really common in comics. I mean, the recent Doctor Strange movie, um, Doctor Strange going to Tibet, a white, privileged white guy who's whiny as hell and bangs on the door until they give him all the magical secrets and then he's master of the universe. It's a really boring stereo um, storyline that I'm just sick of by now. And I remember the Tibetan prayer beads that Oz has on his wrist. I remember that from the first time I watched this episode. It was a detail that I noticed because also in my liberal white Bay Area bubble were a lot of people who are wealthy enough whose parents would go to Tibet for those week-long retreats and they'd come back being like, I feel so deep and <laughs> I'm just, it's amazing. You gotta go. And then it's like, hello, you just spent like $10,000 like on a vacation in a developing country. Um, <laughs> how spiritual are you? Right. And it was, I thought that, I felt like the inclusion of the beads actually was really smart because it's exactly what, like, how old is Oz? Supposed to be like 20? Like exactly right. what a 20 year old white guy would pick up and then feel really like, like it's an amulet that he needs. He's also in a band, you know? Yeah. So like he, he feels things. Yeah, I was totally thinking this on a rewatch of like, uh, yeah, that he's this guy in the band who like, like when he, it's before he goes through his spiritual phase and now he's in the middle of that. Like, yeah, which Beatles record is he on now? Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that. The one with the sitars. Yeah, yeah. What? Um, oh, no. This, this seems like a trip <laughs> from like the late 90s, early 2000s because it was still like undiscovered or remote, you know. Like what's what's the, um, what's the, What's the, what's the, like what's the modern day version of, of going to Tibet to, to seek enlightenment? I was trying to figure that out because the world's so like, it's so, so close now with the internet. Like, I, I think the modern day version are the quiet retreats. I feel like that's kind of a big trope. I mean, that's probably one of many options, but the quiet retreats where you go and you don't talk for seven days, 14 days, a weekend, 30 days. I see that as a part of the Silicon Valley culture of commodifying um, enlightenment. Commodifying spiritualism. Yeah. Probably people are still going to Tibet though. I feel like that's still super good. Maybe Bhutan. Nepal. Yeah. Oh, it's ayahuasca. It's the fucking <laughs> there it modification is. Yep. of uh, there the go. spiritual experience. It's the ayahuasca tree retreats in Peru and like South America. Okay. So that's also, Burning Man, which is another commodification of like spiritual enlightenment. Yeah. Where they have the VIP tents now. Yes. Against what the original thing was all about. So it'd probably be a burner tattoo um and like an ayahuasca story about seeing ufos or something well you know you know who did who did used to go to burning man jenny calendar (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) techno pagans and and oz went to romania which is where many like romany like tribe like myths start and like saying i went to romania especially in this era it was like kind of like i think code for i talked to gypsies just not a word that we like to use as much today yeah oh but this show loves the word gypsies oh they do and they speak in special voices they're great (laughs) uh being in the uk uh this is we can cut this but like it's not really related but being in the uk i am experiencing all new kinds of prejudice and racism that i have not before like uh, anti-gypsy sentiment is very common. And uh, I, I, I was privy to my first like anti-Irish sentiment that I've never, never, it's a new thing for me. I was like, what? <laughs> like, oh, this is new. Can you tell us the context, please? I'm super I curious. was at work and somebody was just like, made like an overtly an- like anti-Irish joke. And I was like, and I, did, I like, I literally didn't get the joke. I didn't really know what they were talking about. 
And I was like, what? And the guy was like, oh, we take the piss out of the Irish because they're ignorant criminals. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how is this okay for you to say at work? What are you doing? Was that a student or like a no, teacher? No, obviously it was a teacher. It was like yeah. a job. Yeah. Uh, and like, well, I just tell them Ireland's doing a lot like, better than the UK I didn't want to say anything, right but like, and also like, I don't really understand the context because I'm an American. It's very weird to me. I didn't say anything or do anything. I just stood there pretending I had no idea what the hell he was talking about still. <laughs> it was really not okay. Well, you got to speak truth to power. You got to let them know that Irish people are just as backward as they are. Anyway. <laughs> It was also like the, the thing that like people in the UK don't get about Americans is that like how many white Americans identify as Irish American and like are really hardcore about it. And I'm not, I mean, I don't, that's not my background, but like if I was Dennis who like, whose family like takes that pretty seriously, right, Dennis? Yes, we do. Yeah. Like you could be like, you do, it's not something you want to say to an American, like, like a white American anyway, like, like it's no big deal. Like, I feel like that could have gone really wrong for them. <laughs> Not that it's okay to say it to anybody, but I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting, John. Yeah, it was super weird. Dennis is like, give me his name. <laughs> <laughs> Have you friended him on Facebook? Can I find this guy? <laughs> I feel like the we haven't touched on um, losing your job slash purpose, which it looks like Michael. This is something I identify team. with. Yeah. yeah. But I feel for Riley in this episode. Probably, I feel like Riley right now. So mm. just like the losing purposeness, purpose in your life because your role, so much of our lives are our jobs. And so for Riley to discover himself as an anarchist and that that's his new role is really special to me. And it's like, it is goofy in the way it's held up, but like he needs a new role in order to like make it out of the initiative. And I felt like a, an exciting theme. And like Riley, I think is the most fucked in this episode because he's given up the most and it's he has no almost no choice except to do it because the alternate because of standing up for the scoobies put him in so much danger you know like you could even see it on the floor when he's like trying to i mean he tries to rescue oz like they're talking about he does it and then he ends up like basically court-martialed and who knows what's going to happen to him in this system that he doesn't control and so like i don't know just feeling that like that sense of the guard changing around you and like you've got to get out of there uh it just felt really profound so it I, I'm excited about the direction for Riley, but I'm also like, dude, you're so fucked. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's a place for you on the Scooby gang. You, you probably have to move, li- live on the lamb. Actually, maybe join a, the real U.S. government and not this fictional U.S. government. <laughs> Why didn't he just get in the van with Oz and they could just... just yeah. It's not too well, there's two bros. Riley bros could learn bass. <laughs> and this yeah. next Dingo's record is going to be so good. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, Michael. And in overall in season four, I find Riley a fairly boring character. But I would say this is pro- probably my favorite Riley episode, is this one. This is the episode where I find him the most sympathetic. And it's because he tries to rescue Oz and because he punches his boss in the face and because he gets the hell out of the initiative. And like those are things that make me actually like respect him a little bit. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting even the like visual coding that happens earlier, like when Oz is being tasered, Riley's on the initiative floor, not in military uniform. He's the he's the guy in the hoodie that episode, and it's already kind of visually indicating like he's separating from them, and he's like totally lost all authority like by that point, you know, uh, before he even actually like revolts. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
All right. Uh, do we have anything else? Maya, where can people find your stuff? People can find my stuff all over the internet. I am Red Gold Sparks, all the three words squished together, um, on Instagram and on Tumblr. I have a website that is redgoldsparkspress.com. Um, I have a lot of short comics up there that you can read. Um, I also, like I mentioned at the top, have a book coming out in May 2019, which will be called Genderqueer, a memoir. It's coming out from Lion Forge. It will be available online and in major bookstores. I'm hoping to debut it um, at comic shows, probably um, TCAF in Toronto. And then I also, if you're on the West Coast, I do a lot of comic shows around here. So maybe you can catch me at one of those. And my name is Maya Kovib again, and this has been super fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I've been your host, Dennis St. John. You can find my comics at Dennis Comics, D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X on uh, Twitter. And that's my dot com. My Instagram is Dennis St. Comics. Um, and you can follow us uh, at Buffy Virgin Pod on Twitter, Buff at Buffy Virgin on Instagram. Uh, and those are the good places to see the drawings I do every week or every other week. Um, for the podcast and uh we're buffyvirgin.com and uh we'll new website coming soon yeah we uh, oh cool yeah so just dennis do you want me to give you some old fan art of mine a buffy fan art to post on the instagram yes totally that would be yeah. awesome i'll send you That'll some things <laughs> awesome yes by the time you get uh by the time you're listening to this you can check out maya's art on buffy virgin uh instagram all right and we will see you in hell <laughs>